what would you rather? Three or four in-houses in a year or the ability to do just one legit competition in the year? Hmm. Can I get back to you tomorrow? Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, so now we have Carissa Savarat from the West Shore Warehouse. And um, I guess you've been thrust into the midst of the pandemic like the rest of us. And uh, the point of this uh, episode was to get your mm, perspective on kind of how that's been affecting your business, but of course you as an individual. Um, let me just start with a fairly specific question, actually. Okay. Uh, so you're fairly active on the social medias and, uh, more specifically, you tend to post your training sets or at least snippets of your training sets a fair bit. And this has been a regular, a regular thing for you. Um, could you, tell us what your motivation is to post those sets and whether or not um, the pandemic has changed your motivation to film those sets or has, I guess, mm, has it affected, um, yeah, the reason that you do it or, uh, or of course, any of the like the feedback that you get or, or basically, I don't know what, what you, what you look are looking to get out of posting those sets. Cause obviously you can create dialogue with other people, with other lifters, with other coaches. And in a environment where we don't really see each other face to face, obviously we can, you know, we're not necessarily limited to communication digitally, but um, yeah, has it taken on a different form since the pandemic? But let's start with why, what motivates you to upload them in the first place? Um, okay. Sorry. You've got a cat. You can just stare at the cat butt here. It's furball. Um, it's furball. <laughs> Walter, the furball. I've got beef jerky in my hand, so he's like trying to get after it. So I need to figure out where to put it that he can't eat it. Um, what motivates me to post my sets? So I video all of my sets. I, um, like to watch my sets sometimes I lose count so I like to use that as um just kind of backup if I lose count um and then I'm just always I'm watching my technique so um I video every single one of my sets and I don't delete them off my camera which is a an issue that I need to deal with um like like off your phone you mean off my phone yeah so yeah. my phone is just like full of. So you you <laughs> sprung for the full 500 gig iPhone 10, right? Oh, uh, whatever Adam has for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, yeah, I do. I video all my stuff, and what motivates me mainly, and it has motivated me to post my sets, is I kind of feel like it's a bit of a diary for me. 
Um, and I always feel like I've got a lot of stuff going on in my head during a set. And sometimes after a set, I feel motivated to post something because it's like, I just want to get it out, um, out of my head or, um, I'm reflecting on a set or, um, talking about how challenging it is or not, or, are you purging uh, what, frustration when you do that? Or do you have like an epiphany or is it all of the above? All of the above. Like sometimes it's an epiphany where I'm like, oh my God, something just came together and I need to share it. Um, and then other times it's like, this is really fucking hard. Um, <laughs> and for me, like it's a bit cathartic. It's, I, I, it's like I said, it's kind of like a journal or a diary. Um, and I like to look back on it personally. I like to... <laughs> I watch my videos a lot, <laughs> my own videos, um, because I like to look back and see where my head is at at different times of my training, different years, uh, different seasons, different uh, bell sizes, um, because a lot of times I find that sometimes I get stuck in thinking like it should be easier by now or like maybe I never struggled with this weight or like I didn't struggle to hit this pace or what whatever it is or like I get frustrated that I haven't changed something technically um and so I I'll look back at those videos and I'll I'll see like oh wow like my technique has changed like stop being so hard on yourself or like you know you did really struggle when you started lifting these the, the, uh, twenties, you know, like, um, you know, you did feel like it was impossible or all of the challenges that I go through with every, every bell size. Um, and even like, just even like my results for training too, like looking back and be like, Oh, okay. Well, like last year when I did this, you know, I could barely hold this RPM and now I can hold you know, two or three RPMs higher or whatever it is. So that's, that's my main motivator to post. So, so like just looking back on those posts or people reading them is, you know, realizing like, you know, we all plateau at points and sometimes it does feel like we're going backwards and we are kind of like we, especially when we're um, fiddling around with technique and stuff, like you might, you might have a, have a set where you do, you did less than the, the time before. And, and that's totally normal and part of the process. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's another motivator that I've found through posting is that people, you know, um, connect with that and comment on it and like, Oh yeah, that's happened to me too. Or, you know, maybe in class people will say like, I've even had some of, some of the team say like, was that post about me yesterday? And I'm like, no, like that, was, <laughs> that post wasn't about you. That post was literally like what was going on in my head during the set. So, um, so yeah, so I, I enjoy doing it. Um, and I know it's a lot of just videos of me lifting, but, um, it's kind of mainly for me to look at <laughs> right. and look back at and learn from and, and hopefully other people can too. So if that's sort of serving as your diary, are you still keeping... So do you have a log of some sort? Um, like a paper I training book? I did. Um, I logged everything until I started training with Charlie. Um, and then I just start, I just sent him my results, mm-hmm. kind of like each training session. And I never actually wrote any of that stuff down. So that's kind of a bummer for me that I don't have, you know, those years of, 
of that programming, like my actual results written down. Um, but I am starting to, um, keep track of that. I actually just started a Google doc like last week. Um, so because I like having it, um, so I'm, I'm going to start tracking everything, but like I said, if I really wanted to be, um, take the time to do it, I could go through every single one of my, all of my videos are on my phone. So I could go through every single one of my videos and, you know, write down my results from that. What's the likelihood that that's going to happen? Yeah, Zero. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll hire someone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's, and that's why I asked that question was, um, sometimes in training, I have that epiphany and, uh, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have to write this down. Like this really works for me. And then I don't write it down. And then, you know, a couple of training sessions later, I'm like, there was something I was supposed to remember. Oh yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, or you're, you're making an important decision on something. It's like you're presented with two techniques and you're like, okay, I'm going to try these out. I'm going to trigger, try to figure out which one's best for me right now. And then you go through your training session. You're like, okay, this is definitely this one. And then you don't write it down. And then you go back to do, you know, the similar training session and you're like, oh shit, I don't know what I'm supposed to be practicing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes my training is so, um, can be so all over the place that that affects me when I go into competition as well. I go into competition. This is when you never really want this to happen is when you're questioning, (laughs) like, did I settle on this technique or that technique? Mm -hmm. Oh shit. (laughs) So... Yeah, that's why I asked. Uh, yeah, if you also keep that that paper log along with that. No, I don't. But I most of the time tend to post my what I feel are like are my important sets. So I feel like I mm-hmm. can look back on that too, right? Um, but I'm sure I'm sure I miss things. Yeah. yeah. Um, has there been? When you've posted one of your videos, and I know that you gave some examples earlier of some um, commentary, uh, was there any comments on any of your, of your videos that mm, sort of extended the tail end of that epiphany where it was just like they kind of built on what you were kind of thinking about and then it just really contributed that much more to the, the, the benefit of posting it in the first place, if you get what I mean? Mm. I totally get what you mean. And I think there has been, but I can't remember a specific, <laughs> a specific instance, but I know must that have not been that a, profound. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. So yeah, I can't, I can't remember exactly, yeah. but I will say that recently, well, especially with the 24s, I think talking about failure a lot. And sometimes mm-hmm. in my stories I'll post, like just recently I posted one where I failed my last well, my 15 seconds. So like I didn't yes, get my I last two, yeah. two reps in there. Right. Yeah. Um, cause I started going too fast and I was getting like a little bit cocky. I was like, this feels really good. But with the 24s, it feels good until it doesn't. And then all of a sudden you get yeah. out of that groove and it's gone. But anyways, I had quite a few people message me specifically on that, um, on that story saying like, Oh, it's so good to see that you're human. And like, um, <laughs> I, you know, I really like to see videos of people failing and not just because it's like they want to like in person, you are the most human person ever. 
<laughs> Sorry. I said, in person, you're the most human person I know. Am right? I? <laughs> um, in the, in the yeah. sense that like you're, you are very personable. So, yeah. um, the fact that people would like, who obviously know you in some way, shape or form, cause they're commenting on your video, on your page. Mm-hmm. Um, have these people just not met you before? Oh, it's nice to know you're human. Well, what do you mean yeah. by human? <laughs> well, I get it. yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely making a lot of connections with people that I've never even talked to before, um, that you just start following to through the kettlebell world and that live all over the all over. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like some people that are starting to comment that I'm kind of developing this, like either like we like each other's stuff or comment on each other's posts and stuff, you know, I wouldn't have met any other way through then through social media and through posting my lifts and stuff. So, yeah. And I think also too, is like a lot of times it, a lot of people will comment things like you make it look so easy or it looks so effortless. And I'm like, well, I'm dying inside. Yeah. So maybe there's that a is little the bit idea of, though, is to, yeah. is to make it look effortless, right? At least. True. Yeah. I, I mean, that is one of the key differences between someone who's good at something and, and someone who's not. Cause yeah, you can both be like the internal mm, struggle and the physical struggle can be very intense but when you're when someone watches you do it and you're good at it, it looks very fluid and and you look mm-hmm. calm on the surface, right? Yeah, while your body's screaming, your while your body's screaming, screaming. yeah, while your head saying stop. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe what I'm saying is maybe that's because people see those videos and think, oh, it's easy for her, and then they see a video of me failing and being like, oh, maybe it isn't so easy. So I don't know if that's what. Yeah, yeah. That's when. When do you feel like you need to distance yourself from the social media um, contact and dialogue and interface? Mm. Well, see, I'm like, I'm pretty bad at that. And I've started to, oh, especially in the last like year, two years, try to be a little bit more, a little bit better with setting boundaries. Um, I actually, well, maybe not or maybe I have I thought um turn off my active status um because I do enjoy talking to people um so it's hard when I'm getting a bunch of messages not to get into conversations and have that take over my free time not like I want to not converse with people but um there needs to be a line right where you're you know, having some downtime and you're not always talking about, you know, kettlebells or work or whatever. Um, and that's true as a, as a trainer and instructor as well, because you have that large client base Mm -hmm. that, uh, everyone wants a piece of you, but, um, you know, in their perspective, you know, there's not a whole bunch of people screaming at them, wanting a piece of them, Mm -hmm. uh, necessarily, you know, obviously, you know, people have different jobs and different thing. So, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but mm-hmm. as a, as a trainer and instructor, it can be a little overwhelming. Oh, totally. Totally. Like sometimes I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, Oh my God. Like <laughs> by the afternoon, I'm like, uh, <laughs> how am I supposed to get back to all these messages? Um, so trying to, yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a, there's a personal, batteries. yeah, there's a personal guilt there, but then there's also that professional guilt, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, that the good trainer and the good 
business owner should be responding to these. And of course, we, we also know that Google will tell them how good we are at responding <laughs> within a certain period of time, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that reflects on us. And so there's that, yeah. that pressure all the time. Yeah. Well, there's social media, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and then you get text messages and then you get emails, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. so I, I actually like, especially during COVID, it became quite apparent because of course people are freaking out, right? Especially like any kind of change that's happening to the gym. And then next thing you know, like my inbox is exploding for like through like say Facebook messenger about like what's going on or do I have to do this or whatever. Right. And I'm like, so I had to put out on our, our private Facebook group for our gym, like email the, the business, Mm -hmm. like as much as like, I love all you, I can't be individually answering everybody's messages or else, you know, that's my entire night. Um, so, um, I've, I kind of put that out there within, you know, the first few months of COVID because it was just getting quite, quite overwhelming because and it's also right. You're feeling people's anxiety over, over those messages too. So you're trying to be like calm and, um, yeah. So, um, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I think, I don't know, as a business owner, not that I take business itself super seriously, like, and I mean that in the sense of I'm not motivated by monetary gain, but I like to take pride in sort of being a working professional and having your own business as part of that. And so you have to sort of have your own internal policies and protocols and you sort of acknowledge that you represent a part of the community that is somewhat at least um, looked up to might not be exactly the right phrase, but there are certain responsibilities that you carry when you represent a a constituency, which in effect is what your client base is. Um, And so you have an image and you have a presence and then tack on the sort of uh, adjunct part to that where we're kind of part of that health and fitness space. And yes, obviously we'll say, yes, we're definitely part of the fitness space, but there's definitely an argument to be made that we're also part of the health space. And I like the way that kind of Gray Cook put it, it, where he said that we are essentially on the front lines of people's health. And it's, it's, it's when they get too far beyond our ability to help them that then they kind of have to go to the medical community for that. So, you know, tack on that responsibility of being part of the health and fitness community. And then all of a sudden you feel like, okay, I need to choose my words very carefully when it comes to the provincial protocols and mandates and all the political um, stuff that's kind of swirling around all of that. And, uh, And so you want to be able to kind of give your perspective or your opinion on the matter or your own personal policies and protocols while at the same time you want to kind of make sure that you're being as professional as you can and and um i guess carrying the torch for the the health community as well and i gotta tell you i i have not been impressed with the uh protests outside of hospitals it's like oh my gosh i have a problem with political policy I'm going to go protest in front of a hospital. Oh, so brutal. You, you, you can't phone call your MP, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> go yeah. through the normal diplomatic process. 
these people are just trying to help and they're already in a shit storm. Yeah. And you're like, I just, it's unbelievable to me. I don't even understand how someone's mind would ever work the way to think that that was a right thing to do. It definitely created headlines. So maybe that was what they're going for. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I definitely feel a certain amount of responsibility to to have their back, and especially in those situations where being, in a sense, sort of persecuted for being part of the um, health mandate machine when really your only responsibility is to <laughs> try to help these people and cure them and, and save them from, you know, potential fatal consequences, but to then be attacked with political vitriol uh you know it it, it definitely lacks a certain tact but yeah i went off on a bit of a thread and tangent yeah some things to say and i agree well (laughs) you know i'm just trying to you know phrase it fairly Mm -hmm. as matter of factly as i can so you know there's a there's a time and a place and and that definitely i don't think was the time nor the place Mm -hmm. to be doing those things um and so that is the present state that we, we do find ourselves in the pandemic and our businesses are definitely affected by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, at my work, we have um, followed through and instituted the uh, vaccine passport policy. We have definitely had many cancellations because of that. We've had many frozen uh, accounts because of that. Um, but then again, we've also had definitely the majority of... Um, people having more of that positive stance on it, uh, which is good. And from day one, to be honest, besides all of the, I'm generally pretty good at uh, compartmentalizing things that happen around me, but there have definitely been moments during the pandemic where I kind of got that queasiness in my stomach of like thinking about all of the casualties of this and all of the social turmoil. It definitely weighs on you. I mean, it, it's, I mean, everybody's affected by it. And uh, I don't know about you, but it's a big topic of conversation with every single one of my clients. As much as, you know, we try to steer away and talk about other things, it's like, it's the topic and it's been the topic for a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And of course I, you know, (laughs) not overtly try to not make it the topic, but, and this was the point that I was going to get to was again, me being pretty good at compartmentalizing things is that to be honest, since the COVID began, uh, my life has not really been affected in such a sense that, Definitely my rights have not been infringed upon. I'm doing literally all the things that I used to do uh, with a few curveballs added to it, like, you know, scanning a QR code here or there, and which has just been really recent. Um, and the mask thing, you know, I try to put those things in perspective. Like there are literally countries who voluntarily wear masks all the time, yeah. right, yeah. in Asia. So it's like, you know, I always try to put things in perspective like that and, because it can teach you something about whether, like how far to the left or right your sense of normalcy really is. 
Um, there's that whole thing about like the Overton window where your sense of normalcy can shift depending on certain cultural, environmental and temporal factors. So if things are like wild and crazy enough, like they were in the, uh, in the MAGA years where the ante just kept getting upped and upped and up, um, it, yeah, it, it basically the normal sort of shifted into crazier and crazier and crazier territory. Um, and that was people's reference point. So we are definitely at a new reference point now. I, I feel like where, you know, masks are definitely more sect- accepted. I remembered, I remember when masks, the whole mask thing was first uh, proposed. And, you know, you look at someone wearing a mask and you'd be sort of suspicious. Of, like, why are they wearing a mask? And, and uh, I'm not sure if I'm ready to wear a mask. And then it completely flipped. And you, you look at someone in a public space who's not wearing a mask. You're like, why aren't you wearing a mask? And... Like, why aren't you on the bandwagon yet? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and it's so weird that way. Yeah. Um, but I think these are great learning moments where it does challenge our perception of what is normal and why we think it's normal and whether or not it's just the fact that we are not comfortable with change. Well, I mean, you know, we're definitely not comfortable with change. <laughs> I think human beings, I think that's just like a, in our nature. But um you you think back to any law that's been passed and i'm sure there was an uproar like say like when the seat seatbelt law was passed right like you know back then there was definitely people fighting against having to wear a seatbelt and let or otherwise be fined right so it's like all these things that like i feel like we're going to look back at and be like remember when people were freaking out about <laughs> having to get a vaccine or whatever it is right like that just becomes normal to us that, yeah you know, violence in look- video games sex on tv yeah you know the the inevitable change that happens in the uproar that accompanies that yeah totally I think and that's just- you know you, you definitely could argue that some things may not have necessarily made things any better such as sex on tv and yeah. and all that stuff um, so, you know, uh, the real point of this is that, you know, it's been a challenge, but I think if you take the time to try to put things in perspective, you can find, you can adjust your, the normalcy of it, right? You can adjust your outlook and you can make things work. And I'm the kind of guy who looks at any given situation or looks at any barrier, I'm like, how do I make this work? How do I keep moving forward? Um, and I do think that that mentality and that attitude, number one, is really what pulled me out from a dark place um, just coming out of public school when, you know, around the time when my dad died and, um, and I had to go live with my mom and had left my home, which was um, sold and auctioned off all the, you know, possessions that were there and, uh, moved to a completely new city, um, left all my friends back home, put on a bunch of weight. Um, and I sort of had to take a look at my situation and be like, okay, how am I going to find my way out of this? And, you know, the reality is it is up to you to, make things happen and, and pull yourself out of those dark places. Cause uh, you know, try as many other people may around you, like no one can really walk your path 
or um, overcome your barriers for you. And a lot of the time, those barriers are mental. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, that's not really going to be achieved externally. So for me... These, this is a, a, a lesson that I've taught myself that has helped me be successful as a person in uh, my work, in my academics, in my athletics. And um, it, but people come from different backgrounds too. And so it's hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I came from a background where I don't know, I got the shit kicked out of me by my brother and ha- had like really bad uh, self confidence. And, you know, had the trauma of my, my dad passing, but, and, and all that stuff. Um, but it's interesting cause I'm one of three brothers and we all sort of react to the situations that we're in a little bit differently. Um, my eldest brother, he was kicked out of the house early, so he doesn't really apply, but myself and the middle brother, we essentially grew up in the same household, but we kind of went two very different directions. And, uh, when you examine the whole nature versus nurture argument, this is something that does get brought into the light, which is the fact that you can have two people nurtured in the same household and you can make the arguments that obviously different siblings are treated differently and that affects how they are nurtured. But nevertheless, you can have such different people coming out of the same home. Yeah, um, I actually watched a bit of a podcast on, um, I'm not a behavior scientist, so don't (laughs) don't take everything I say with a grain of salt, Um, but about on like the nature versus nurture debate. And they were talking about how it's not just within like your immediate family group. It's also like who are your mentors outside of that and who are, who's your peer group and how much of an effect, you know, teachers can have on, you know, how, you know, children develop into adults and and the behaviors and the paths they choose and, you know, like their friend groups and then going to their friend's house and, and their family and, and all these things. So it's not necessarily just, okay. Um, you, you were both raised in the same home, but you know, I don't know if your peer groups were different or, you know, you had a different experience with teach with your teachers or in school or, or I think, you know, all of that stuff outside of the house too can have an effect just as much. And those experiences imprint differently on different people, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because with all of that said that you said, you know, a teacher, for example, could say, you know, you're never going to do anything with your life. Someone might take that and be like, well, I'm going to show you. And the other person would take that and be like, I guess you're right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, and it's, yeah, it's very complex that way. Um, so coming back to the topic of working in the pandemic, now we've already been through 2020, (laughs) man, what a year that was. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. For some, it seems long, but also seemed like it just flew by and like, I don't even know what happened. We're in some sort of weird pandemic vortex right now. Uh, but we were both lucky enough to run our competitions in person. Yes. Um, tell me about the nerves leading up to that 2020 wish or open. Oh my God. I was sending an email out like every hour. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I don't think anybody read them because people were still showing up early. Um, yeah, I was totally nervous because we were allowed to eat, like restrictions were eased a bit. Um, we were allowed to have up to 50 people, but as long as it was outside. So there was, we were limited to a certain amount of people inside and we had to make sure that we were, uh, socially distanced. But at that point it wasn't masks mandatory and it definitely wasn't masks during workouts. Um, so was just trying to make sure that we kept everybody as safe as possible. And I think we were still learning so much about the virus that no one really knew like, okay, well, like, is this being easily transferred on surfaces and, you know, mm -hmm. all that stuff or like when you're sitting outside. So, um, yeah, I was very nervous and I really wanted to make sure that we were keeping everybody safe. So it was, we really laid out quite a few guidelines on how, you know, this thing was going to go. Um, and we were like Lysol wiping down every judge table between the switch. Everybody had their own chairs with their name on it. So when you went to go judge, you picked up your chair. You weren't sitting on anybody else's chair, um, like a way to walk the bells out and around <laughs> so that you weren't walking in the same door. Um, yeah, no, it was quite, it was a quite nerve wracking. And then just regular competition stuff on top of all of that. Right. You know, mm -hmm. people last minute, uh, flight schedule changes and yada, 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 that goes along with the competition. Um, but we were super lucky to do that and it ended up being a beautiful day. It's beautiful it was, sunny yeah. day. So it was awesome. So people just sitting outside and they could watch from outside and we had it live streamed. And then we did that nice, uh, like dinner lunch outside in the, at, uh, Juan de Fuca at the, at the um, field there, which was really nice. So it was great to see people, you know, um, because we hadn't been able to get together for so long. And um, it was just good to see people having fun and having a good time and, and giving people an opportunity to lift and compete in person uh, felt, felt pretty good. And everybody was really supportive. And even though there was few people still not reading emails and showing up early and maybe some people standing pretty close, <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, like, you don't, you don't want to feel like you have to be policing people. But at the same time, you're like, you don't want anything to go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that's the distinction I make at work, too, is that, you know, we're going to enforce the, the protocols insofar as they have become internal policy. And we have put in the measures to make sure that they can be followed as easily as possible. Um, but now I'm just like, you know, you guys are all adults. Like, mm -hmm. if you honestly want to come in here and be a dick, I'll throw you out on that basis, not because you're not following the policies. Um, and that's about as matter-of-factly as I can put it. So, yeah, I'm not really interested in, like, policing right now. And I, I don't think that it's really our responsibility on, like, a, a, a civil or social level, per se. Because, um, I mean, you already have, like... You know, they're, they're say they'll give out tickets and fines anyways. So it's not like the municipalities or the province isn't, you know, policing it in a sense anyway. So, you know, people are adults. They can attempt to make their own wise decisions. Uh, but I think if you make the whole process as easy as possible for people, it, it makes it, you know, effortless. 
Uh, it's, it's kind of the same thing with when we're trying to enact behavioral change with people with like their diet or their, um, just their home behaviors, like trying to incorporate a more active lifestyle. If you can make the, the new lifestyle as effortless as possible, the chances of adoption are much higher. So if you can just do that with some of these things, it makes the process that much easier. Would you say that right now in the midst of the fourth wave with the Delta variant, in the midst of having a mask mandate, in the midst of having now a passport, uh, the passport program, would you say that essentially the protocols are stricter right now than they were West Shore Open 2020? And this isn't yes. a trick question. I'm just, yeah. No, in your, I've said, okay. yeah. Okay. Would you say, though, that the feeling is more relaxed or, or more tense than it was back in mm-hmm. West Shore 2020? I don't know. I feel more confused. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, so again, back to your point of like, um, we still didn't know very much about it back then. Yeah. I kind of feel like it was more tense then I, than it yeah. is now. De- definitely. I feel like I've, we've settled into our groove a bit with all this stuff where it's like not as like uh, maybe frightening. And yeah. I don't know how much of this has, is also because now. I'm doubly vaccinated and mm-hmm. everybody that's coming into the gym is double vaxxed mm-hmm. or at least single vaxxed until October, whatever. Um, so it kind of gives you that sense of security. So you're like, okay, well, we're still doing these protocols, but like we'd also have this other line of defense too. Right. Um, but I guess maybe why I say I'm confused is because um as of July, what was it? July 1st when they, ch- they changed a bunch of the protocols and masks were no longer mandatory, but it was supposed to be worn by people that weren't vaccinated and yada, yada, yada. Gyms could go back to their normal capacity. We never went back to regular capacity. Um, right. We, we kept people separated in their squares because at that point, July 1st, none of us, none of the staff, had been vaccinated yet. Some of us had been singly vaccinated, but none of us had been doubly vaccinated. Some of us hadn't been vaccinated at all. Mm -hmm. And so we knew that if we weren't, then that means our clients weren't either. So what do you mean we're going to go to no masks and now everybody's working out beside each other? You go from like the super strict, like, okay, masks and separated to like, all right, well, well, they're just recommended for people who aren't vaccinated. Like most people aren't going to be choosing to wear a mask while they work out. No. Um, and so that was a big revelation. People got really pissed off about the mask mandate, right? Mm-hmm. So when they did away with the masks, they didn't say the, the change wasn't that we don't think that you don't need to wear them. The, the position was, we still think that you should wear them. But we're going to leave it up to you. And then no one and then no one wore mask. And I was like, this is why they mandated masks, because given the choice, you will not do it. Well, because the thing is, the the difference between the confusing part was like phase three was now masks are recommended for people who aren't vaccinated. And then phase four is personal choice. 
But in my pers- perspective, there was no difference between phase three and phase four. Right, right, right. Because once they announced they were only recommended, no one wore them. Yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? So and, like, and I knew so who was... So how was that a personal choice? And you could tell... Because, yeah, phase three, it was like, you should still wear it if you're not vaccinated. And I was on the vaccination list. I know, I knew when people were getting vaccinated in my city. So when everyone pulled their masks off and I was like, wait a minute, there's no way you're ahead of me in the queue. So that's why we kept everybody still in that six foot distance. Yeah. And, yeah. And we still are right now because we don't really know like, okay, so what's the next step now? Now we've got our vaccine card so okay so now like we're talking tim and i are trying to figure out okay so next week are we going to go back to like people side by side and sharing equipment right um so i mean i guess that's what i mean by we're confused because we're Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're trying to follow rules but you're also trying to keep people safe and uh we had a lot of um i think a lot of justified uh confusion and criticism over the whole wear masks in the public areas of the gym, but while you're working out, not, you don't have to wear it. And Mm -hmm. with our gym, I mean, it's an open gym. I mean, there's people walking here and there and everywhere from machine to machine. And, you know, machines are, you know, for the most part spaced two ish meters away, but people are kind of passing each other all the time. And there are some people who go, will go through their whole workout with their mask on their chin. And it's like, well, I'm not going to say anything. Cause I mean, it's, you're essentially, you know, within the, the protocols, guidelines. the yeah. guidelines. Exactly. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of criticism about that, but you know, I guess I don't really have much to say about that as far as my own opinion yeah. it's like you know if that's the policy then you know we'll follow through and yeah it's all it's all good but in that respect it's like okay if our if our job is to sort of keep people safe are we being successful at doing that mm-hmm. um but i guess in that respect the proof would be in the results so you know if you're not having outbreaks then i guess it's good enough yeah right um in general, putting on a competition. So let's break from the pandemic talk for a moment. Putting on a competition. The Remind us of what the first year was that you guys put on the West Shore Open and all of the preparation and perhaps trepidation and perhaps apprehension about whether or not you even wanted to do it. Tell us all about that stuff leading up to your first West Shore Open. Um, I like to block that stuff out. Oh, so that every year it's a brand new experience. (laughs) Um, So it's, it's an inaugural event every year. I find it quite stressful. Um, because although there's people that are willing to help me, a lot of times I feel like I can do it all. And they don't really realize I need help until it's too close. And I'm like, ah, shit running around. But like, so we did our first, um, like, in-house competition before West Shore Warehouse when I was working out fitness. We did that um, in 2014 as a fundraiser to go to Dublin. And it was just about, you know, me and Christine was also going. Christine, I forget her last name. Oh, my God. Broadhead. Um, we're going to... 
um, Ireland. So we thought, ah, we'll get, we'll, we'll do like a little in-house competition and get all the people that come to the gym to do a lift and we'll raise some money and yada, yada, yada. And just like a really like, wasn't really a huge plan. Right. I just said, who wants to lift what? And then I just wrote up on the board and everybody just kind of went with their name and we had like people volunteering judges and yada, yada, yada. And then it kind of just grew from there. And then when we moved to ice, um, when I first met Tim and we were set, we weren't working together yet. Um, I think you came down to that one. Maybe that was the first one you came to. Yeah. Um, that was the weekend after Linda did hers, okay. I believe. Cause, uh, I do remember it being like, back. it was either, or was it back to back days? might've been back to back days. I don't, re- like I don't she remember. Did a Saturday and, and thing. I didn't even know she was running one. It was just more like, Oh, this is a good weekend to, <laughs> to run. And again, it was just like an in-house. I wanted to put something together to give, you know, um, people who were on the team or liked lifting kettlebells an opportunity to, to have like a competition like environment. Yeah, yeah. So not, not a ton of prep, right? Like, it, like no one paid anything. It was just by donation. I think we raised money for some, something. Every, well, who every did I give I, that 50 bucks to? Yeah. Me <laughs> <laughs> to my car. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, we did. We, it was a donation. Like every year we, we, we made it like a donation towards sometimes we did for power to be, um, we've done like Goldstream food bank. What's, um, what's power to be? Um, it's a, um, it's a, I want to call it a club. It's for, so it's kind of like a leadership course for, for okay. teens that, and sometimes it's for like troubled teens that maybe need some guidance and then, you know, they go and they live out in, in the woods for four days and get that experience of, um, you know, f- figuring out how to, to camp and light a fire. And, but anyway, it's a, it's a really great program. And I learned, learned about it from, um, from someone I used to work with her son, um, kind of made a, a, a pretty big turnaround at 14, um, through taking that program. Um, but yeah, so it, it, you would just be like a donation. And again, it was just like, everybody just tell me their lifts. And I just put together like a pretty quick makeshift, like flight schedule and everybody was jumping into judge and yada, yada, yada. And then, so it started to turn more into like, okay, this is starting to get like more of a serious competition vibe, which is good and bad. Like originally putting it on, it was like to give me experience too. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, to give the team experience and to give me some experience lifting so that like when I go to a world event, then, you know, I've got that practice behind me and there was nothing like, uh, like when I started lifting kettlebells, I feel like it was a long time ago, but I guess it wasn't that long ago compared to a lot of people that have been lifting, but say like 2014, it was like, what was on the Island for us to do for a competition? Like it was only if Linda had hers, which you know, CKA would be moved or wait, CKA was, they went was, to like that was nationals. Yeah. But, nationals, but she right? would always do her Victoria classic, um, until I think the 15th, the 2015 was the last 2015. year. 2015. So it was like, you know, unless you wanted to travel, you had one opportunity a year to lift on a platform. On like, yeah, a legit platform for like rank. Yeah. Um, but she, she was good about doing the in-houses. 
Yeah. Which, which I hadn't, I didn't really know her well enough to, right. I think, to get into that. Um, so I don't yeah, so even know how I inserted myself into that. Yeah. So, right. I think you, I think you probably made the connection between me and her to go to like the pentathlons and stuff too. Right. Um, so, and I was just so green yeah. and I didn't really know any of the stuff. So, so that's kind of how it started with me putting on competitions was like, okay, well, I'm going to do a, one competition a year, like I, and giving some of, you know, my clients and so, some of the team an opportunity to see, do you like this? Like, is this something you could be into and maybe get inspired by to continue lifting or, you know, um, see some other lifters from the island because there was quite a few on the island that would come, you guys would come down mm-hmm. from Nanaimo and there was a BDHQ group and, um, some people from Linda's group too. So anyway, so that's just kind of how it started. It was supposed to be just kind of like a relaxed, fun event. And then, um, every year it's, it's grown a bit and it's become now, um, you know, something the, where the, it's you, become the event that people go to, to cash in, to cash in. Well, we don't do, we didn't do cash prizes the last two years. <laughs> Oh, you did? <laughs> no. Oh, I thought you did. No, we donated fifteen hundred dollars to SPCA. Oh. Um, so because of well, because of COVID that year, it was just like this is getting crazy. Like I don't even know how to. It was like kind of a lot. Are we doing it in person? Are we not doing it in person? We're gonna have people like video submissions. There's gonna do some like live Zoom judging. This is gonna get kind of crazy. Let's just like ditch the cash prizes you know i'll give out um i think we ordered patches and uh um and certificates and stuff but like kept it again pretty minimum um yeah so now now um we're working with ikea iko and dennis so that you can get ranked at our competitions and now it's starting to get more serious which now makes me feel like I need to get more serious in figuring out what. <laughs> what what makes it what what makes you feel like it's more serious now compared to before? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I mean, part of me feels like it's not, but also there's more and more people that are registering and people that are traveling to to compete. So then it's like, okay, they've got to make this like legit, right? So what this you, year we're talking. What do you want to get out of it? Out of what? A, yeah, what do you want to get out of the West Shore Open? Again, I just like I want to give people an opportunity to lift in like a relaxed, like friendly environment. Okay, pause that um, that thought for a moment. And this is largely a product, eh, yeah, of the pandemic, I guess. But my biggest regret of the last few years has been not putting on in houses. Mm. I think there's something about in-houses that there's a few things about in-houses that I like better than the experience of the competition. And I am getting older, so maybe nostalgia is part of it. (laughs) But I do have fond memories of making the road trip down to Linda's and, um, and seeing everyone from there and seeing, you know, you guys on occasion as well who, who'd come. And of course we go to your, in your random in-houses as well. That would pop up. But there's something about an in-house and part of it is the relaxed atmosphere that you described. It, 
it just has that clubhouse feel, right? And it has that community feel. And you might have your own personal goals that might, I guess, make you nervous and tense and might make it feel like there's there's some stakes to the whole situation, but everyone's just so kind of happy to be together and there's there's cupcakes and you know, you get to put in your five bucks to donate to a good cause and, you know, go out for some lunch after and it wrap up in like a few hours and and it, it would be just enough for it to feel like something you could sort of look forward to, but not so much that it felt like it sort of overwhelmed you for the whole day or you're running around like an idiot. Oh, I got to be ready for this and I got to be ready for that. So, and uh, the feedback that I get from the in-houses has always been great. And, and Dave Atchum would definitely always be at at the forefront of, of all (laughs) those uh, good graces and kudos uh, that we would get for doing the in-houses for sure. And of course, Rod and all those other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, when I ask you, you know, what do you want to get out of the West Shore Open? Let me rephrase that with this second part. What do you want to get out of the West Shore Open that you can't achieve with an in-house? <laughs> or several in-houses throughout the year. And this is the other question I'm going to tack onto that just to make this question more confusing for you is what would you rather three or four in houses in a year or the ability to do just one legit competition in the year. Hmm. Can I get back to you tomorrow? Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> okay. So I'm just going to, your silence my, tells is, me is, everything. <laughs> this is how my mind works. I feel like I need to make a list of pros and cons. Um, so the thing about doing like three or four in-houses, like if I was to host them, it still is like a weekend of work for me. Even if it's not a ton of like planning leading up to it, it's still like a weekend of setting up, cleaning up, being there all day. Um, I love doing it, but it does take a lot. You know, I'm, I already work six days a week and um, even on my seventh day, there's always some work peppered in there. Um, so I just need to be very mindful of, of like my energy and stuff there. Um, and the pros of doing an in-house, like you said, it is more relaxed. So it doesn't have to be like, I don't have to be like people I need to sign up by here. We need to make a list of this and I need to order chairs and I need to order like whatever we're doing for a swag bag or medals or, um, or like have like a super legit flight list. Cause you know, within the houses you can pretty easily do some stuff on the fly. Oh, what do you feel like doing? All right. We'll break it down. Um, so yeah, so that, that's definitely a, a, a plus, but the thing about doing the West shore open that I like and have enjoyed is that, there are some people that are coming out of the woodworks in the kettlebell community that I don't think would just would be showing up for an in-house. Um, whether it's people coming from Vancouver or, or what, um, and, and like especially last year with the COVID and doing some stuff online, you know, we like we had some people from overseas either video submissions or or doing the, the online stuff. So, I mean, that's always fun to be a host of that and have, 
you know, either people watching that maybe wouldn't normally be watching our group of lifters and, you know, people from the island, um, or connecting with, connecting with those other lifters from around the world or, you know, on other places in, in Canada. Um, so yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is (laughs) I don't know the answer. Um, What, there's, pros um, co- there's pros and cons to both. It just is just a lot more organizing for the for the um, West Shore Open. As, but as, I feel like as an experience, not putting it on as an experience. Yeah. Same question. Oh, uh, in house. Why? Because I can be more relaxed in my lifting. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, we'll move on. We'll move on be, from that one. Okay. To be too, super selfish. To be continued. Is, uh, yeah, um, to be continued. What's the thing that people comment most on at your competition? The music. How Just bumping kidding. it is? <laughs> How bumping it is? It's bumping. I don't know. I don't know what people comment on. What What do you comment okay. on on our competition? All right. <laughs> Second question. My MC skills? <laughs> second, second, well, second question. Okay. Who started the candy table? Where did that come from? I know where it came from at Todd's. He got it from you. Oh, me, I guess. Just having snacks out for people? But it's not yeah. snacks. It's like predominantly candy. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know. Because <laughs> I feel like at Linda's there might have been some, and there was definitely the cupcakes. But she yeah. had that culinary, that that culinaristic, culinistic flair. Yeah, I don't know what word I'm looking for. That culinary flair. Yeah. So it, she'd also do like hors d'oeuvres and stuff, or or something a little bit more elaborate. Um, yeah. But yeah, the candy table. Because I feel, well, <laughs> and the reason I asked that question is because if I had to guess. That's yeah. what most people would comment on. Because to be honest, and I'll I'll give it to you. There's usually a bowl of fruit. Yeah, Nature's well, candy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay. there's that. You just don't have um, like the bowl of melted chocolate to dip the fruit into. Uh, so, well, it's okay. Honestly, that's I I when myself? I go to your competition, that's. There's there's always something different that I look forward to at different competitions, and at yours yeah. that's definitely it. Okay, awesome. I like it. <laughs> um, it's more just like it's something super easy. You need some pre workout, but or like some pre workout <laughs> carbs. But also like we just get like a, a big fruit tray from Thrifties, and mm-hmm. we get a veggie tray from Thrifties, and then a bunch of snack stuff, and then sometimes some people like make like Carrie Ray made cupcakes one year and like you have brought down what well, you brought I, there pizza. was donuts one year wasn't <laughs> there don't yeah oh that donuts. was actually at donuts. ice there was donuts at ice that's what you guys yeah. had at that one yeah so anyway we I provide think. people with sweets mm. come to our competition for sweets okay um, but now you have to yeah. rename your competition um to uh Willy Wonka's West Shore Oaken. <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so maybe people comment about that. I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I just want to provide people. Well, actually, one year we had pizza or we had um, pie and ice cream. That was so dope. So one of my clients that like I haven't seen her in a while now she's got four kids, um, owns. You say that kids, like it's yeah. a bad thing, <laughs> and now she has four kids. No, just she's busy. She um, in like two years adopted a family of three and, and another, and another boy, they are, she's doing awesome. Um, so all of a sudden just like, yeah, the family group, so she's been busy and she also owns two businesses and I think she's starting another one. So she owns uh parachute ice cream, which is like amazing ice cream and they make the ice cream in house. And then she also owns pie and company. So one year she brought in pie and ice cream and then we made hot apple cider it was what it was like it was cold. It was like November or something, and so people lifted and then had pie and ice cream and hot apple cider. There was rum there, a sixty pounder of rum because we thought maybe people want rum. We still have it in our cupboard unopened. <laughs> no one drank any. Oh, it's unopened. <laughs> That's how often I drink. Wow. Um, so, so it's been there since two thousand and seventeen. I think we need to start a new tradition then. In our in our cupboard because no one drank any. We're like, oh, I guess they're all athletes, right? <laughs> maybe you know, maybe it's, no, it's not are their spirit maybe. of choice. Well, maybe they were nervous. Like, oh, I don't want to be the first one to open this drink. That clearly um, wasn't an issue when we went to uh, San Francisco that one year. Well, <laughs> San Francisco? Was yeah, that there was a... A um, oh, quite a shot, shot party right? going on in the, uh, in the in the back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's photos. Okay, I don't think I was there. Yeah, I don't know. Was I there drinking? Uh, I can't remember. Uh, I'm not sure. Anyways, anyways, uh, on to other things. Yeah. Uh, one so, last question. One last question. Okay. Um. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the online kettlebell challenge, did that wrap up? Did they no, close still, shop? It looks like it's still happening. Someone else sort of took the torch, I guess. Like from Sin and Mark? You yeah. Mean? Um, I see people posting. Really? My impression was, was that they kind of wiped their hands clean of it and sort of ended it. I think but I could be wrong. Maybe on. just someone well, left. People are still posting. I think it's Snatch this month. Oh. Huh. One okay. hand switch, get in there, Sully. Show or or maybe got. it's like when you go to like Ford Enthusiast Forum and people are commenting on like a six-year-old thread. Yeah. Maybe it's one of those situations. No, people just I keep think... uploading videos and it's like, dude, this page has been defunct for four years. I'm pretty sure I saw both Catherine and Todd post recently. Snatch. Well, they would post regardless of whether yeah. <laughs> whether or not I like chat. So I don't know if we can use that I as a... Real. Um, there's also another kettlebell challenge cup that's in there too. There's another one that I'm a part of the group of, but I haven't oh. really read. I think it's a seven minute. They do seven minute event events. Um, but there's just so much stuff, right? And it's awesome yeah. and you want to be involved, but you can't be involved with all of it. Yeah, I don't want to be involved. It's too much. Um, <laughs> the, no. my question though, so obviously that online component has been around for quite some time, mm-hmm. but as of 2020, we had to shift into online competition, which there had been several prior to us doing the, you know, going to your West Shore Open, which um, fortunately enough, we we're able to do in person. Um, but 
would you say, so tell me whether you think or not that the online competition stuff is sufficiently scratching the kettlebell competitive itch or even kettlebell community itch for most people. Cause they do seem popular, but mm-hmm. maybe that's just a product of the fact that that's all you can do. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple things here. Um, it's really great because it gives you access to all these competitions around the world. There's basically monthly, if not like two or three in a month that you might not be able to travel to. So that's really cool. Um, the drawback of that is you have to be really good at, um, picking and choosing so that you don't overdo it, which I have done maybe last year. (laughs) Or just like this, I'll do this one. I'll do this one, right? Um, so it does give people an opportunity from around the world to compete at events where they ne- might not be able to compete at, and I think that can get people some people excited, especially if you live in an area where um, there isn't an active kettlebell community or or anywhere to compete locally. Um, so that's great, or maybe you don't have the money or the time to travel or you know resources. Um, um, but definitely missing like the energy, like of the people at a competition, I think for me is the biggest thing. And it, you know, maybe easier to bow out of when things get hard because <laughs> you're just in there lifting by yourself and you're like, Ugh. like, um, I've had a couple of my uh, team members come in and lift with me at a few events and like, it's great. They're cheering, but sometimes you're just like, you know, you just kind of need that crowd energy and someone lifting beside you. Um, I think is really helpful. I, I get a lot of from that. Um, and what was I going to say? Oh, and I did my, my December one for, um, the Asian world championships with IK, I think it's through IKO. I actually streamed it live on Instagram because I was like, I need something to hold me accountable to this because it's going to get really hard. And I'm in the gym here by myself and I could easily put the bells down when I get to the point where I'm like, fuck this shit. So I was like, I need to go live on Instagram because I need to at least think that there's other people watching, whether or not they're watching, I won't know until I'm done, but I need to think that like there's someone out there watching and holding me accountable to like finishing a set. Cause if I just had to video it and then I stop at start and you know, and, and that's the thing about some of the video submission stuff, like part of it has been pretty comfortable and part of it I've really liked in the fact that like, you may, maybe you have two days to submit it or maybe you have 24 hours or whatever, but it's like, say you wake up and you're like, oh, I kind of had a shitty sleep. You can, if you've got your day free, you can kind of pick and choose what time of day you lift. You could go in there, you could warm up and you'd be like, eh, not feeling it or I'm hungry or like need to go to the bathroom or like any of those factors that come into, come into play. Um, you can kind of get, get around. Whereas like at a live competition, it's like, you're up at 9.05, you're up at 9.05. If you're not on that platform, you missed your lift 
Or if you're up there and you do a wonky clean on your first rep of jerk and you're, oh, shit. Okay, now I'm stuck with this hand position, right? And you're trying to adjust and like, right? Uh, so um, I don't know where I'm going with this. But part of part of the online stuff, I guess, is is has been comfortable. But at the same time, it has been harder to uh, stay motivated and push yourself through those, those spots where, you know, you want to give up or you want to slow down or you want to be easy on yourself. Whereas like, if you're in a crowd of people that are lifters and they understand what you're going through and they're shouting at you, or you're on the platform beside, you know, like there's two other people or three or four, how many people are up there and you know, it's like, they're suffering alongside with me and you kind of feel that camaraderie of like, okay, we're going to get through this. All of us, like you don't have that same experience in the, with the online stuff. I'm kind of like, man, I hope you're suffering so that I can <laughs> use that as fuel to <laughs> try and see if I can get the edge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whatever it is, we all get, all of us are motivated by something different or energized. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you though, I don't like it at all. No. I do not yeah. like the, the online competitions like yeah. from, from a, um, someone who puts on a competition, like it's, it's nice to be able to offer that because mm-hmm. you know, you can't really speak to what it gives other people, um, outside of just feeling involved, but as someone who can put it in the perspective of, the preparation and anticipation that goes into going traveling somewhere and going to a different locale. Cause when you're doing your, your, uh, you're doing your set in the place that you train, mm-hmm. it's really hard to separate yourself from the training mentality into the competition mentality. Cause I do think that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, it's fairly well established that we are influenced by the social dynamic. And part of that is the the social competition dynamic. And my best sets have always been the sets where I am on the platform with people better than me. Mm -hmm. So like the one year in Seattle where they had everyone sort of lined up and you had already done at least one or two like NorCal's that were like that, that had like a huge flight. Um, but like being up there with you and Charlie and, um, I think probably, Oh, a patch was up there and just feeling like, okay, we're all in this together in the sense that, you know, we're kind of at the top of our game, but then also like, okay, I'm going to try and go toe to toe with you guys too. Right. Cause I'm looking at your clock and I'm being like, okay, I got to stay a few reps ahead, a few reps ahead. And the more that I can do that, the more it fuels me to keep going. Um, cause you don't want to kind of, you know, lose a lead or something like that. And, or maybe you're particularly good at sort of climbing your way back. And, but you need that external reference point to really be able to do that. Otherwise, if you're just there with yourself, perception is everything man like if it if it's hard and if if it feels hard to you 
And then it's easy to convince yourself that, yeah, it's hard. But if mm-hmm. it's hard, but then you see the other, other person beside you struggling, you're like, well, it's hard for them too. Yeah. And then maybe you're picking up on their, their body language and you're like, okay, as soon as they start to stutter, I'm going to see if I can like get ahead a little bit. And you're watching the clocks and you're watching the scores. And, and so all that stuff sort of factors into your performance. And like I said, my best performances has always been when I have been up there with the strongest lifters. The, the time that I broke, finally broke, um, I think, I guess it was when I broke 80 reps with the 24s was beside Charlie at your competition or was it when I broke 70? I don't know, but it was, it was like over and over and over the whole year. I could not break that barrier. And then I was able to finally do it. And it was one of the only examples that you will ever see of me finishing a set, like getting, like setting the bells down being like, yes, the only time I've ever done that. Because yeah, it was, it, there was, yeah, it was just yeah. that catharsis of being like, yeah, finally, awesome. yeah, because you had yeah. to like prove it to yourself. But in a way, you knew you might not have been able to do it if you mm-hmm. weren't up there with someone who, um, I don't know, who who represented all the all the best parts of what you aspire to be athletically. Mm-hmm. You aspire to be Charlie. In many ways, um. <laughs> taller. Tall, dark, handsome. <laughs> Hairier chest. But you know, um, I've got the mustache, so. You got the mustache. And I can rock um, the aviators. See, and that's where you and I differ. I don't want to be anybody but myself. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I honestly. You found me out. I can't, like, I don't, I have no idea what pace anybody is doing around me i like i i have no idea what's happening around me for what pace someone's holding or if they're faster than me or slower than me or i i have i get into my zone and i've got a focal point and i can hear people and i there's certain voices that definitely stick out of the crowd more than others um but i'm just trying to get to a but we're like, I'm pushing myself as hard as I can while also staying relaxed and, and breathing. So it's just like, and every, like I've had a few sets where I've got it, where it's like, and you kind of get some an endorphin rush and you're just like, this is flowing and I can't even stop if I tried. And it feels fucking hard as shit, but also feels like I'm like floating. <laughs> Like, it's just, it's the weirdest, like, that's like what I live for above anything else. And it's those sets where I'm like, finish and I'm like, holy shit. I look at the clock and I'm like, wow, I just beat blah, 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 blah. Or like whatever my, my, my rep score was or my my PR or something. And I don't even necessarily think that I'm PRing, I guess. Like I had that, that's what I had in, in in Korea, right. When I had, did that one Oh nine for, with the 16s, like right. all the, all of a sudden, it, like, I don't know, maybe it was a five minute mark. It was just like, I just started flying just go. and just, yeah. And I just got into that zone and I had no clue what anybody else did on that platform. And, um, I think that's the mark of really consistent training, right? 
you have been consistent and you kind of knew, you know, each training session, what your, your, the marks that you're trying to hit, right. Your, your Mm -hmm. per session goals. And it's giving you this, this accumulative sense of confidence with your own internal ability that once you're up there on the platform, you just perform and you don't have to worry about a thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that takes, I think, a love of the sport, but then obviously it takes that discipline too. Right. And I don't know, do you start the year with that outlook where it's like, okay, I'm going to be like, so on top of things this year, and this is going to be my year end goal. Or are you just kind of like naturally, I don't know, uh, disciplined with your kettlebell training. I mean, obviously now, well, you get your programming from your coach and stuff like that. And they're kind of there to help to, to make sure that you're staying pretty, you know, consistent, but. Um, I just continue to put in the work. Um, what else are you going to do? Right. What else are you going to do? I mean, I feel like the, the last few months I'm feeling more motivated than I have in like a couple of years. Um, to kind of be like, all right, so now I realize like what I need to do to get to that next level where I'm like starting to make more of a conscious effort in, you know, my general fitness. But like, you know, when I started programming with Charlie, he had me running three days a week and I, and along with my kettlebells, which was actually four days a week, but one day was just a glove snatch set. So I would run and then do a glove snatch. And then three days a week, I would lift one would be long cycle. And then two would be biathlon days. And I just followed the pro like, I'm one of those people, like, if you give me that and say, this is what you need to do. Like, I like that because it makes my life really easy mm-hmm. because I mean, you, you probably feel the same way. It's like you're programming for people all the time and all that's going on in your mind while you're training people is like, okay, this is we're going to do this next and and like, okay, this is the weight. Anyways, I just like to be able to like go and look at, this is my plan. I don't have to think about it. I go and do it. And so I'm not necessarily being like, I'm going to be so on top of my game this year and I'm going to crush this goal. It's just like, I just, I'm just following a plan and it's, progressive so it just takes me to those spots and i think that's an appropriate place to end which is something that i say all the time which is that it's not the destination it's the journey um but no in all seriousness if you get over focused on the outcome and you fail to acknowledge or um enact and actuate the small steps, the process goals that get you mm-hmm. to that outcome goal, then you're kind of putting the uh, horse before the cart, cart before the horse. I don't know how it goes. Yeah. I don't know how a horse and cart, but horse <laughs> works. before the cart. Horse yeah. before the cart? Doesn't the I horse pull the cart? <laughs> you shouldn't. I don't know why I even chimed in on that. I'm the worst <laughs> at remembering any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> But that's the thing, cross, right? Cross the bridge when you bear it. <laughs> Water under the bridge in glass houses sink yeah. ships. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But yeah, if there's anything that you can take away from what Carissa just said there was that, you know, if you focus on the day in and day out stuff and you just, you know, you go in, you do your thing, 
you perform, you have at least some in-session metrics that you're looking to achieve, whether it's set pace or set time or whatnot, then you will eventually get to your goal if you, uh, you know, if you do that essentially long enough, right? Mm -hmm. So. It's true. Just keep doing it. All right. Let's end it there. All right. And I uh, so much appreciate you. I appreciate you. Uh, but I appreciate, I appreciate you, you. Uh, joining us on the on the program today, yeah. and uh, I hope I I think that everyone will um, you know take some good stuff away from this episode. I hope, and hopefully, we didn't offend too many people with our personal stances on things. Yeah. Um, and I'll but, sign up for grip strength. Yeah, sure Don't you worry. will. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm last minute, but I'll be there. <laughs> just show up just show up put me on the board okay yeah and uh as a reminder to everyone else uh listening um final day to register i think is going to be the 26th we'll send out a reminder for that same thing with the strongman workshop um we're going to do a last call on that one too um and then uh west shore open registration is open yeah yeah and, and you can do that where um, there's a Facebook page, West Shore, the West Shore open, uh, 2021, um, and it's in, in person on the Saturday and then live zoom on the Sunday and, or video submissions, because it looks like there's still going to be some restrictions for some people coming over. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We will not be doing video submissions. Um, we're just going to go ahead and take a hard stance on mm-hmm. that one. Uh, and we're going to cool. do everything on the Saturday, uh, including yeah. the live Zoom. We're going to project oh, onto yeah. a projector that will that. be its own platform. That'll be cool. Are you going to project Michael Jackson? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> that might be weird. <laughs> might okay. catch people off guard. It might. She doesn't lift kettlebells. Um, all the usual COVID protocols will be in place from last year. Um, space will be a little bit smaller for ours, uh, but not by much. Um, should be pretty straightforward as where as you need where you need to go. Um, we'll have coffee and I think muffins and stuff like that there. And then we're gonna do a post competition barbecue, and uh, there will be alcohol. Oh. I'll bring my rum mm-hmm. oh. from 2017. Ah, well-aged. <laughs> yep. Okay. That's it for us today. Thanks for listening, for, yeah, dropping by. Thank and, you for um, having me. Yes. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you next time, Chris. All right. Sounds good. <laughs>